No matter what language people are speaking, you look in their eyes and you see something in them that you see in yourself and in every Christian and every saint that's walked this earth. It's the hope that only comes from Jesus Christ. Guys, we're not here to unite in a spirit of secular humanist globalism. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> Because that's way better. We're here to unite around Him. The love we were made for. The joy and the hope that only come from Him. Happy Advent. Welcome to the Chris Stefanik Show. We've all heard a priest walks into a bar joke before. Today, we're going to literally talk about what happens when a priest walks into a bar as I talk with my friend, Father Michael O'Loughlin, about how he shares his faith in the most unexpected settings. But we're not going to just do this to show you how a priest shares his faith in unique ways, but to really lower the bar to entry and to show you how simple it is for you to share your faith to make an eternal difference in someone's life. Before we dive into that interview, Two really simple ways for you to share your faith. Number one, become a missionary of joy. This work only continues because of our monthly donors, but we're gonna sweeten the deal for you. In addition to knowing you're making a great difference in the world, we're leading a pilgrimage to Italy. And if you go on reallifecatholic.com, click on our pilgrimages tab, you'll see how to join me on a pilgrimage to Rome, to Assisi, Venice, Florence. See the place where the first Christians took over and beautified the world. Uh, but listen, if you're a missionary of joy and you sign up before January, come mid-January, we're gonna do a drawing and one of of our missionaries of joy is going to get a free trip for themselves and a friend to join us on that pilgrimage. So become a missionary of joy at any giving level today. And number two, a great simple way to share your faith is a new podcast we're coming out with. Listen, there's a beautiful intersection of faith in everyday life. How do I live out my faith with joy in the workplace? We're gonna show you how. And I know you're a busy person, so this is only gonna take you three minutes a day. Me and my friend Pat Lencioni are, re are releasing a new podcast called The Three Minute Reset. Go to threeminutes.net right now, pause this, go there, threeminutes.net, sign up. You could actually subscribe to the podcast right now, or go next level, subscribe to the newsletter, make sure you never miss a podcast and you're actually part of the conversation. And here's how you share your faith. Share that link with a friend, even a friend who's on the fence. It's gonna be a great, relevant way to show the impact of faith in everyday life. Now, to my interview with Father Michael, honestly, one of the most profound conversations I've had. There's some really practical, accessible stuff and some really deep, mystical stuff about sharing your faith with the world. A priest walks into a bar. You, you, have, you have your own podcast. What's your podcast? What God is what not. What God is not. It's really cool. The intro music to your podcast is beautiful. We, we know the we know. The yeah, we know yeah. the schneers, man. <laughs> schneers. Yeah, just, I love it. Uh, but yeah, before we talk about how you share the faith, which I, I think, again, people might look at you and think, well, he's a priest. He's got to. No, you do it in the most ordinary ways. And it's so cool. That's why I have you on here talking about this. Um, I want to talk about the faith we're sharing, right? John Paul II talked about breathe, uh, the church should breathe with the right and left lungs. The Roman rite, which most people are familiar with, but then there's also the East. Uh, what is a Byzantine Catholic? What are you? <laughs> so Jesus is Jesus. He was in Jerusalem, a very geographical point, right? And so when he asked the apostles to go to the four corners of the world, they did that. They spread out. We didn't have mass communication at the time. It was very hard to send messages. So the apostles took what was, for 
the vast majority of them, their Jewish heritage, their understanding of Shabbat meals and Passover meals and, and what it meant to pray in the synagogue, what it meant to pray in the temple. They, they took this understanding of their, of their Jewishness. They, they took on Christ's proclamation of the Eucharist, take eat, this is my body. And they, they took what they knew from the scriptures, what they knew from Christ, and they went out and they began evangelizing. They, the Spirit of God worked with them. So the way that they would have the Eucharistic meal varied from place to place based upon the, the culture that was already there. And they, they, they weren't trying to impose Jerusalem culture on, on everywhere they went. They, they took the culture, but they said, we have something here that comes from Judaism. We found the Messiah. We, have the, we had this last separate meal that's mm. so beautiful. We have the daily aspect of the, of the meals every night. We have the Shabbat meal. We have all these things. We're going to take it. But they, they were sensitive enough to the culture of the people at the time that the the traditions developed separately. Not only the Eucharistic traditions, but also the the prayer traditions. They had the Psalms, they had the the aspects of the Canticles, and they had the prayers that Jesus gave, like the Our Father. They had all these things, but they they adapted it and put it in a different place so that the souls and the minds of the people in that area would be more open to receiving it. Saint Paul did this himself. Of course, all the apostles did. There became five main hubs in the early church um, within the first three hundred and so many years of the church. Um, if you go south from Jerusalem, you hit um, Alexandria big city. You go north in Jerusalem, you hit Antioch, big city. Um, Peter and Paul were brought to Rome, the seat of the empire, so that's a big city. Jerusalem itself, of course, and then you had this little tiny city called Byzantium um, that Constantine decided to move the, the head of the Eastern Roman Empire to, and he called out Constantinople in his humility after himself. So, and <laughs> It also just means the pole. It's Wouldn't you though? The city. I, I probably would. That's that's a horror. You're right. Call me out. I probably would. Michael Land or whatever. Um, O'Loughlin Land. O'Loughlin Land. O'Loughlin It's a new name for a podcast. The second. Um, um, so the uh, so anyway so they developed in these different cultures in the different areas. Well then of course the devil comes in. Pride comes in. And and since they were different from each other in many ways, not only regarding the Eucharist, but there was spirituality, the way that they prayed, the way that they understood God's love for them. There were language differences, semantic differences. Um, the East and the West, so Rome, and then the other four that were further over here, they ended up kind of out of mostly what I believe is pride, but also over some real debates. They excommunicated each other about a thousand years after Christ. And then about 500 years after that, there were many who had those who were part of the, what we call the Orthodox Church, who had excommunicated Rome, were, were feeling, as, as, as we to this day do, that we want to be in union with each other. And so some of the bishops from the East, Orthodox churches, came and said to the Pope, you know, we want to keep all of our things that are unique to us, the married priesthood, the, the ancient creed, we want to give Eucharist to infants, all these things that are kind of objectively different about us that after the split, we want to keep all those things because they're authentic to us and we've been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years, but we want to be in union with you again. We want, we want to have the ideal that Christ wants and have this union. So um, will you accept union with us if we maintain all of these things? And at that and within probably between the 15th and 18th centuries, many of these bishops brought their entire Eastern Christian churches into union with Rome, and that's what I am. I was my, my church was one of those Eastern Christian Orthodox churches that that came back into union with Rome in in 1646. In my what case. a great and short summary! Thank you. I don't think you even took a breath. That was incredible. <laughs> uh, it's it's not just liturgical differences, right? There's also a way of thinking, yeah, uh, and, and approaching theology and approaching God that's different. How would you sum up that difference? Because I, this is the part that I draw the most from as a guy who feels comfortable, because uh, I grew up with it in, in the Roman Rite praying, uh, that, I, that I have incorporated into my spirit, but I, I have a hard time putting words to it. 
Yeah, the, the way I see it basically is that the Eastern churches tend to draw people to themselves. Our, our churches are little gem boxes. We, 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 yeah, and we're we in one right beauty. now, right? Yeah, yeah, we're in, beautiful icons. Yeah. And, yeah. So you draw, people, you draw people to the traditions. The, the Roman church has a mandate more often to go out and to meet people where they are. That's why there's been so many successful Roman Catholic missionaries, um, certainly more than most the Eastern churches. Um, but the Eastern church draws people to itself. So this is why I love John Paul's image of the two lungs, because you need both those things. You need to draw people to the church mm -hmm. and go out. Now, both churches do both, of course, but one emphasizes one the more. Um, in the West, there's a desire because of our Western mind and, and the scholasticism, et cetera, to really analyze something to its, its basic details. Let, let, let's break it apart. Let's take apart the lawnmower. See by how the West, works. you mean a Roman, the Roman mind, the, the Roman, Roman mind, Catholicism. And, and even, even yeah. the Western, our Western culture, yeah. that I think the Roman Catholic Church ha has, has responded to the needs of Western culture, whereas the Byzantine Church for hundreds of years responded to the needs of Eastern culture as far as there's those, you know, Egypt, Turkey, Greece, Russia, these countries. So basically what that became was that the Roman Catholic Church is very structured in the mass, in its scholasticism, in its theology. You have this systematic theology that you study everything there is to know about morals and dogma and scripture. Yeah. In the East, and liturgy feels the same way. It's like here's three, four parts. Yes, I know where I'm at. This starts, this ends. Yeah. If you listen to the hymns, man, mm. I mean, I, this is an, a, a, there's I, I I love the allowance of contemporary music in in the liturgy for Roman rite. I do, uh, but very frequently it goes off the rails and it and it's just cheesy. But then you go to the East and you hear, hear whether it's Byzantine or Maronite or or dude, you go like Chaldean, like Middle East, and it's like whoa. This is like so. These are, these are some hairy, bearded dudes singing these things, and like, and then you get your Russian octavist, which is like, oh, 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 I can't do that stuff. But yeah, it's 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 very manly in its expression and meeting this. That's beautiful. Yeah. What you said, is and, more, and we more need feminine. both. And so it's kind of what what are what are what am I more drawn to? But yeah. the East, we kind of treasure awe. We treasure wonder, we treasure mystery. And so instead of taking apart the lawnmower or the microwave, as you would do in the West, to find out <laughs> the component parts, we say we would just love it for what it is. And yeah. we, just, we, don't, we don't feel drawn to ask too many questions. We don't try to circumscribe something. It's more of a, an awe and a wonder. And I find my experience of God there. In the East, we treasure what's called hesychasm, like divine stillness. So there, there's an inward peace. It doesn't matter how crazy the outside world is. There's, there's an inward peace, and it's very much based upon experience. Like, do I experience God in the inward peace in my Jesus prayer? So, again, politics, geography, semantics—all these things have played a role. And and because we're human, we always try to have competition in this, but it's really not a competition, of course. It, it's it's more we are in union with each other. We're separate churches, but we're in full union with each other. That's why a Roman Catholic church can come to holy protection here and receive the Eucharist. A Roman Catholic person can come to receive the Eucharist. You know, the, the, we're in full communion with each other. I love that. Yeah. And 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 the scholasticism of the of the Rome, Roman Rite has has, has has been helpful to me. But it's been really helpful for me to just say, just let go. I mean, I, I, growing up, I, I'd always presume if a religious ed teacher told me it's mystery, well, it's like, oh, you just don't know. You know, <laughs> like, like, that's a bad thing. Whereas the, the Eastern mindset would be like, no, it's mystery, and that's awesome. You're not supposed to, if God wanted you to know all the details, he'd tell you. It's but an adventure. Jump in and experience yeah, it. Yeah, it's an yeah. adventure. There, there's always something I'm in awe in that is offered to me. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. A great way to incorporate that spirituality. You mentioned the Hezekiah, the resting in the presence of God. Uh, I love the Jesus prayer beads. I'm wearing these right now. Mother Natalia made these. I lost this for a while. It was horrifying because these, these are, okay, this is, each bead is seven crosses. So this does, is not made very quickly. Uh, but 
tell us about the Jesus Prayer Beads a little bit. So the Jesus Prayer Beads, it's, there's a similar idea. When most Roman Catholics see this, of course, they think of the rosary, but you'll notice there's a lot more than 10 beads in between the, the main 25 beads. 25 beads. Chris and I have skulls on there for a memento mori to remember our death. Watch the episode about death with me and Father Mike. He cries like a baby. It's shameful. So. <laughs> Utter, utterly shameful thing. <laughs> um, and so this this was the this was a response to the passage in Thessalonians to pray constantly. Saint Paul says pray constantly, and many many um, in the Eastern Christian churches said, how do we do that? How do we pray when we're sleeping? How do we pray when we're eating? How do we pray when we're talking to our our spouses? And and the conclusion that they came to was these two passages in Scripture. One is Bartimaeus, the blind man, and one is the the publican at the back of the church and became what we can call the Jesus Prayer, the power of the name of Jesus and the power of the cry out for mercy. So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then since we breathe, even when we're sleeping, talking to our spouses, eating, we tie that prayer into our breathing. So you breathe in Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out sin, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you'd say this always, you just never stop saying it. And so you, you, the beads are to, to kind of train yourself to keep on going. You, in awesome. the end, you're not going to be counting it, but it's just a helpful human thing to be able to kind of keep, you, you involve your body, your hand. There's something, many will do prostrations at the bigger bead. So it's not only the prayer going on our head, our breathing, we're doing it with our entire bodies. Cool. And so, yeah, the, the, the Jesus and the mercy. I need Jesus. I need his mercy. I breathe in Jesus. I breathe out sin so that my, my, my entire life I'm breathing. And if I make my breathing a prayer itself, it just becomes that's a praying constantly. I'd say two, two, two of the ways I incorporate that right and left lung is, is the Jesus prayer. And, um, and gosh, you know, a lot of times where I, I, I'm too tense, I'm very ADD, mm -hmm. I get very amped up. Like, like the, the nemesis of my inner you joy. You get amped up? No. Oh, right. <laughs> There's a side of me you don't want to see. <laughs> the nemesis of my inner joy is my inner angsty guy. It's like my inner choleric, you know? I meant that in a good way, though. But yeah, yes, no, yeah. but I do, though. But I just gotta, I just got to calm down and be like, just, there's sometimes I'll have my morning coffee and my brain's racing, and I'll just, I'll go through all these and just, until the goal of prayer isn't just that I check off things on a list, it's that I've been aware of the presence of God, which reorients my entire day. Uh, the other thing I've incorporated in my life that you can do, icons. My little sister has painted some of the icons yeah. in this in this church. Uh, tell us, give us a quick summary of icons. Sure. So icons we call windows into heaven, and and this this icon screen here, this iconostas, is is a, a baptized veil. So the separation between heaven and earth in the Old Testament temple that was torn in two when Jesus rose. That's what that is, and it's so. But instead of being a separation. Since Christ died and rose, it now becomes the meeting place. So that's why icons have halos, and inside the halo, it's always gold. Because if that's heaven back there and this is earth, then the halo is, is just a hole cut in heaven, and the soul's looking through it, and you see behind them the gold, the 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 gold glowing aspect of heaven. So that no longer is separation; it's now meeting. We we come to church. The, the deacon comes out, the deacon symbolizes the angels. He cries our prayers and the litanies into heaven when he represents us. And then what comes out of there? The gospel, the Eucharist, preaching. So That's what awesome. comes from heaven is God. What goes into heaven is our prayers. And mm -hmm. then the two are, are going. So the iconostas is also, you can see why James and John couldn't be at Jesus' right and his left, because you're looking at, at the banquet in heaven. You're seeing Jesus in the center. His mother is on his right. His best friend, John the Baptist, is on his left. So here we're looking in heaven, we're seeing the heavenly banquet, and we're seeing them right there. And then on the doors, you have that's the four awesome. gospel writers, because that's how we have access to heaven. And then you have the Annunciation. That's the moment that God became man. 
which mm. is the moment heaven and earth connected in that one man, Jesus Christ. So the two big icons, you have angels on the two doors because that's where the deacon comes in and out to symbolize those angels on the ladder going up and down heaven and earth. Praise God. It's oh, a man. lot more there, but Oh, and there's, and there's each icon has so much symbolism. You don't paint it, you write it. My little sister was telling me how that behind the halo, there's clay that you press gold on and breathe your hot air onto the clay. And it's a symbol of, of the clay of humanity and the divinization of God pressing his life on us. Um, but a way it teaches you to think differently. Like there's, it's all codified, right? There's all the symbols there, but that, that just teaches you to think in a way that says, whatever you're seeing in front of you, there's more. You know, go into that mystery. It's There's reverse you perspective. Many yeah. icons have reverse, reverse perspective. So instead of the, the, the line being the horizon in the back, being mm. where the perspective ends and comes together, you are where the perspective comes together. So it's completely reversed where Dude. when you stand in front of an icon, you see everything be, instead of being oriented towards the horizon, it's more being oriented towards you because you're the one that that window into heaven, God is sitting, as much as I'm looking into heaven, also heaven's looking back at me. And so there's okay, this engagement iconography. That is a perfect segue into evangelization, right? Because this, this church, all the beauty exists, the church exists to evangelize, mm -hmm. to, to bring God to the world. Places are made holy so that these places might make people holy. This is how much he loves us. He embraces us. And you had mentioned that the, the Roman Rite has a, a history of more uh, effective evangelists who have gone out and done lots of things. I, I think you're, you're, you're going to change that a little bit, right? I try. Right? <laughs> because I think one of the mistakes that people make who go to church, especially if it's a liturgy, right? I, I, this is something that, that non-denoms and Protestants have, have working in their favor, uh, that their liturgy is the evangelistic event, mm. right? But I think it's a mistake for Roman Catholics to say, hey, I want to invite someone to God. Come to Mass with me. And, and that's one of the stopping points. They think, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. They're not going to understand what's going on. And in the early church, they would never do that. You, you didn't know what the Eucharist was until after you were baptized in, in the Easter Vigil. And then they said, oh, wait, there's more. You're going to find out now, right? But we make this as our, our step one, and we wonder why it's not working. It wasn't intended to work that way. And, and as a Byzantine priest, because we just dove into some deep waters. Like, like some people might be feeling like I'm drinking from a fire hydrant. There's too much liturgical stuff. Well, ah, you know, if you're going to try to draw, you're, you're a priest in L.A. You're going to try to draw a secular culture back to God. There's no way you're going to say just... Come to, come to divine liturgy, and you're just going to get it, which has forced you to do what we all are supposed to be doing in evangelization, which is go out there. Yeah. So tell us about that outward journey for you, what that looks like, how you're evangelizing, your, your, your buddy status with Dr. Dre. They <laughs> close. One of these days, right. I'll get back to you on that. I'm working on it. They're like this close, man. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's actually a lot closer than most of us are. Yeah, tell us about, about what you're doing, man. So I have, I have fallen in love with um, going to where people do not expect to see a priest. And so bars, restaurants, that's where... Do you dress like that? I, I dress, I don't. I, I, dress, um, I dress like this when I'm around other faithful people and, and all day Sunday um, because this, I, I want to be, that's my little bit of accessibility to the people is I wear a Roman collar. Because when I, especially when I live in LA and Hollywood, people know a Roman collar means priest. Yeah. They don't know this means priest. And, and I, I, want, I want them to know immediately that, that I'm a priest because I, I, some people, I, I have found 95% of people 
are so happy to see a priest mm. in Los Angeles. I did not expect that. They see me and they, they get a smile on their face. Really? They want to start talking. I did not expect it. 5% will just, they, they'll, they'll mock me, they'll do whatever. 95%. I get my beer That's bought so for me almost every night. Are you serious? Absolutely. Yeah. If you want free beers, join Father Michael at <laughs> a bar. He might order two. <laughs> Like oh that poor priest, yeah, whatever. Uh, that's incredible, man. It is uh, the the affirmation, is, and it's it's all the spirit. I know that because it doesn't make any sense to me. But what I do is I so the entryway of a church is called the narthex. Oh, yeah, I'm oh, sorry. I, I want to no, dwell please, there for another please, minute please. before you before you blast sure. on past it because it, it's I needed to hear that. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of us fear sharing faith because we expect the response to always be bad, to always be negative, and we forget the fact that one there's grace and it's real. And we, we're only shocked hearing that because of our lack of faith. It's like, of course, of course it's going to But the other thing we have going for us is that God made hearts for himself. So really, I, and I've encountered this in people debating me online who are atheists. Like, why are you spending so much time watching my videos if you're an atheist? You, you, you got 50 years, then you're dust, dude. Like, what, what are you doing? Uh, they want me to be right. Who the heck doesn't want this to be true? Like, no, no one's gonna say no. I, I hope that I'm nothing but self-aware space sludge destined for nothing. They want us to be right. Yeah, anyway, sorry. I just wanted to, to mull that over for a second. Be encouraged. People want you to be right. Yeah, all right, go and ahead. I don't, I, I'm still processing, because that, 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 that's an insight to me. I, I'm still processing why exactly that is. But it is, I, one of the things I've realized is that when I go out, it's not only that God is sending me to that restaurant or that bar at that night with those people, but he's also sending them to me. And so there's this engagement in evangelization. Um, there's this engagement where um, the, like it's not just me working and it's not just them working. Like there, there's the spirits led us there. And so I think what our Lord has sent me, the 95%, that would be happy, and he sends me to that 95% as well. There may be many more people in LA that, that, that would be totally turned off by my presence or by what I think or what they think I think, but there's something there. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down at the bar and, and someone, usually a woman, because they have beautiful souls and our Lord very valuable, and usually they'll start talking to me and it'll take them a while to realize, since I'm sitting here, that I'm a priest. So they'll be, they'll be talking, engaging, and, and then all of a sudden they'll look over and I've had probably five or six women just burst into tears. I had one woman say to me, she's now a person at my parish, she said, I literally prayed that morning. She'd been waiting in the church for 20 years. I prayed that morning to see a priest. And you gotta I, be kidding I went to the last place I expected to find one, and there was a priest at the bar where I, where I went that night. Like I was, I, she says, I, like, I prayed for it and then I ran from it. How often do we do that, right? I prayed for it and then I was like, and now I'm gonna avoid the consequences. And Jesus sent a priest to the bar to sit right next to me. <laughs> and have a conversation yeah. with me. And I've had women just start crying before, like they, they just, the, the, it catches them off guard. And so what I say is that in, in, the, in my church, I'm comfortable. I need to go where I'm uncomfortable. Mm. St. John Chrysostom, they, it is said of him that his homilies comforted the afflicted and afflicted the comfortable. I Same love homily, that. I, I love it. That. So, so it's, we need to be a little bit off, out of our comfort zone as evangelizers. We need to go out and say, well, I'm gonna go where you're comfortable, because then you're yourself, and Jesus wants where you're yourself. Mm. He's gonna meet you where you are, so that means I'm gonna be a little bit off. So I'm gonna go to a place where I could get yelled at, I could get screamed at, I may hear things I don't wanna hear, I may see things I don't wanna see, but, but if God has given me the gifts to do that, then I'm gonna go and be a little bit awkward, mm. but I'm okay with that, so that they can be comfortable. And then the process that Jesus does, then we start 
that transition in. So then they may come to my parish, but not for liturgy, they'll come for the social. So I invite all kinds of people. I wow. just say, come at, come at 11. I don't say come at 9.30 for liturgy, I say come at 11 for the social. Then they're gonna be like, why are people here? Well, we had a liturgy at 9.30, oh, what is that? They, they, don't, they don't know. Well, you can come and pray for us at 9.30, of course, if you want, but this is, we're also just hanging out here for the next two hours. We're having beer and roasting a pig and, and, and chatting with each other and being a community. And you see the joy That's of Christian two. hearts there. Right, and so now they're kind of, they're not totally awkward because it's not liturgy, but they're also where I'm more comfortable with my people. Uh, before you hit step three, steps one and two, uh, something I love about this, you're going into their space, you're making yourself awkward, but you got your Roman collar on. And this is an icon, so to speak. This is an, 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 a window into how we're all supposed to be. Because some people either stay fully Catholic and then hidden behind closed doors with their Catholic faith, because that's comfortable, or they want to go out into the world and they think that's evangelization when they go there and they give up what yeah. separates us from the world. And there's people in the, in the higher reaches of the church right now who are pushing for, let's, let's soften and change all these church teachings that upset people. And basically that's saying, let's go sit at the bar and look like anybody else. Because right. then we're not actually drawing people into something. Frankly, I think it, they, they go there because of a lack of faith sometimes, that, that Jesus has something better than the world to give. But you experience the discomfort and adventure of, right? There's like an excitement. It's like, Lord, send me to somebody. I'm not going to soften who I am or who you are or the demands of discipleship. But I'm also going to take all that into this space. Who, who are you going to send me right now? That is awesome. And I always bring a book in my notebook yeah. so that I can read or write my homilies and things like that there in case nobody wants to talk or if I'm sitting at the bar alone. Um, but one, And it's Dr. Dre's bar. It is Dr. Dre's bar, yeah, yeah. And you get free, did he, he knows of you and gives you free free stuff. His, his people <laughs> give me free stuff for yeah. sure. I don't know if he knows, but yeah. sorry, Dr. Dre, you, you're, you're giving me free stuff. Um, <laughs> Indirectly. But yeah, but, but it is indirectly. But, um, but somebody told me one time, I don't know how traditional this is, but somebody said, that's what the Roman collar is. It's in a dark world, your voice is the light of a dark world. So, so the, white, the white tab is, is the preaching in a dark world. So when you wear that out and people see, that's what we all want to be, right? An earthen vessel carrying with us the light of Christ mm. into a dark world. And, mm. and we're all sent there. I really do believe that when we receive the Eucharist, it's we become spiritually gluttonous if we don't expend that energy on evangelization, mm. whether it's just to our family, whether it's to the world, but, but we, if we eat a bunch of carbs and then don't, don't exercise, we're gonna get fat. If we eat the Eucharist, which is, which is meant to be the body of Christ shared with the world, we're gonna become spiritually slothful, spiritually gluttonous, spiritually fat, if you will, and it's just, we're gonna hoard it, and Jesus is like, use that energy, yeah. I give you energy. Use it when you go out there, and that's such an important point that we don't often see when we leave the church that there's something in us that now is potential to be exhausted yeah. with the world. Man, praise the Lord. Amen. I, I, I think of Pierre Giorgio Frassati, so Jesus comes to me in the Eucharist. I, I, I return the favor by going to him and the poor. Yes. And whoever he's calling you to. And I, and I, I gotta tell you too, um, you, you go there as yourself. The, the, the secret sauce of evangelization is be holy and then be yourself. And don't be afraid to be yourself. Don't, you're not trying to be somebody else. And, and being yourself could mean someone says something really offensive in front of you. It'd be okay yeah. saying, hey, that's a bit much. Or don't, you know, that, that name you just said? That's the guy I worship. You could say that in the most natural ways. And, it, and people aren't going to say, whoa, you know. And there's been three thinking times, they're going to. Three times I've just left. I've just yeah, left. yeah. Tell I'll, me when I'll it goes bad. So one of the times I was sitting and I was chatting with the, with the gentleman, and um, it was Halloween, which is always a weird day to go yeah. out. But it was Halloween. I was sitting there, and, 
and we're having a great conversation. All of a sudden, his wife comes in, and her, her his wife brings a friend, and they're, they're dressed in in costumes that that are just very inappropriate. And and so I meet them, I shake their hands, and then the guy who's had a couple drinks now, and I always have to be careful with that too. Once yeah, people have had a couple yeah. drinks, I just leave because it's like at some you point you're not going to need evangelization yeah. anymore. So, um, but but the guy the guy convinced this woman that was with his friend to flash me. And, and, and he just thought it was funny that a priest would get flashed. And so, like, I just thought, I don't know where this conversation is going, yeah. but, like, the fact that he, after an hour of conversation with him, still didn't respect me enough to say, like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm yeah. gonna you know, show him something he doesn't want to see or, you know. So, so I, I just got up, paid my tab, and left, you yeah. know. I've, I've had, um, I, here in Denver, I had somebody throw me up against the wall one time twice. People got shot out of the street, walking down the street, threw me against the wall, thought I was someone that I believe things, you know, bigot or, or you know, political yeah. things, that things like that. It's, got, it's gone bad a few times. I've had people yell at me, and people ask me why I'm there many times. You know what? What is a priest doing here? Like you're scandalizing people. They're usually some sort of Christian that that probably feels guilty that they're there, and so when they see another <laughs> like, Christian, what there, are you they, doing here? Yeah, yeah so it goes yeah. by, but most, the vast majority of the time, it, it it goes very, very good. Thank God. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. And, and is, is it overcoming the fear? Yeah. Right. I, I, whether it's again, you could go to the extreme of, uh, uh, hey, don't say that about my Lord, or get up and walk away. Jesus did that sometimes. And that's part of the witness. All right, or he was in a, in a place where people were mocking him and he put them out of the house, Scripture says. It's that drawing of boundaries and saying, this is sacred ground, respect that which is sacred. Or it could be the simple, like, you're going out of the grocery store, get your change, God bless you. Yeah. Did, did I sneeze? No, I'm a Catholic. Yeah. You know, but we, we think that's going to freak people out. It doesn't. Uh, it freaks us out. It freaks out. We're the we're ones bringing all the fear. The food, yeah. Right? And, and very rarely, though, someone's going to react negatively. But that's part of evangelization, too. And I have had times where I have not responded how I wanted to respond because I thought I was able by the Spirit's power to see that soul and to see that they need to test me. Mm. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll test me, test me, test me, test me. And so I will not sometimes respond as I would in most other situations. And then later on, after a few more, they said, so that first time we hung out, like I said a lot of things. I was like, oh, I was like, I know. I just, I, I, I knew that you needed to do those things and I just need to sit here anyway, rather than getting up. But yeah. under, like right now, if you start doing that, I would leave. But at that, at that moment, I really did feel that you needed me to sit it out, take it, not push back awesome. for the sake of something else. But that, that's a unique thing that we have to discern in the moment. Okay, so step one, you're going into their space. And, and, and this is not, I mean, for the record, you're not going to a seedy bar. This right. is like a restaurant bar, it's fine, you know, or coffee shops. But you're being who you are in their yeah. space, with your Roman collar on, just like Christians are always supposed to be. Step two, you're inviting them to something that's just purely friendship building. Yeah. Right? You're not You're, laying it on real thick. What's step three? Step three is, is when they feel drawn to communion. So when I explain to them what the reason why, because you get, a lot of times the, it turns to confession. Why do I need to confess to a priest? And I, and I will say, because you hurt that priest when you sinned because you hurt the entire body of Christ. We're such in union with each other, and people in LA love we're the union, right? We're all one big universe, right? But yeah. we're all in union, we're in one body of Christ. So when, when I sin, I hurt every single member of the body of Christ, including that priest. And thank God, by his grace, he said, God said, you just go talk to the Father. That's why we call him Father. He, you, you've sinned him, you've hurt him, you've hurt all of his children, you've hurt his Jesus. But he represents himself, he represents his entire family that he fathers, and he represents God. So when you go to him, God, by a singular grace, has allowed him to represent all those people. So you say sorry to him because you heard him too, mm. by, by, by the unity. So, so when they understand that, you say, well, 
if it's about communion, then I say we have a, a sacrament called communion. <laughs> and yeah. literally, when you receive this, it's, it's like sex, right? You've, you've done all these things first to bond with this person. You're gonna have to clarify this one for okay. our viewers. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, so, so when, when, do you, when do you have sex with your wife? After you're a husband and wife. So you, you've, you've laid all these other things and then that is the real communion that mm. happens in, in the sexual act. The same thing with the Eucharist. You're it's saying- consummation of the love. Exactly, so yeah. all these other things have come through. You, you, you've said the creed, you, you believe what we believe, all these things make us in communion, and then the Eucharist receiving the sacrament of communion is- One flesh union with God. It is, it is the final step, it is now you are united, and now you have a mission, now you go out as well. Now that you're- Perfect. Yeah. So step one isn't, again, come to Mass. No. That would be like, well, it's out of order way things people do when they date. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. You're, you're dating someone yep. in secular Los Angeles and your consummation comes in date one or two sometimes. Like, no, 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 you're getting this all wrong. One step at a time. Yeah. But it starts with our courage. And God isn't calling everybody to priesthood. But God is calling every single Christian. And, and people think this is just for the priest. No, the, the priest is feeding the flock. What you're doing by going out there is extraordinary. But this is what every Christian is supposed to do. This is Christianity 101. Get your butt out there in some way and make Jesus known, whether it's intentionally sitting down at a coffee shop and praying, Lord, send that conversation to me. Who do you want me to talk to right yeah. now? You know, and, and, and then as you're having the conversation, Lord, what do you want me to say? I'm always praying, like, show me how to, show me what to do, you know? Is that how, the Jesus prayer somebody? is great because yeah. sometimes people will ask a question that I know I don't have a very good answer for yeah. either because it's a mystery or something. And I will, if you could, if you could see me, you would see me breathe in very deeply and then breathe out very deeply. I'm saying a Jesus prayer because I'm saying like Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I, I, I like in that moment, I use my breath as the prayer so that I can say this is about to get intense. It was all very surface for a while, and now they've asked a big question. Like, I can't do this on my own, Lord. I need, I need you to speak in a way that you have not at this point. And so then you, you just, and but then really, I, I say it, and then I say, Spirit, take that, and let my words, your words, sit in their mind so that maybe even 30 years from now, They'll have a moment. I, I had one of my one of my friends that works at a wine bar that I go to. I, I love this girl. Um, fell away from the church, baptized Catholic, fell away a long time ago. And she she had a book in her place where she kind of sits when there's nobody to serve. And I, I pointed, I said, hey, can I see what book you're reading? And I pulled it out, it was all about astrology. Mm. And, and I let it go for a while. And then I heard the spirit say, you need to throw that grenade. You're not gonna change her heart today, but I'm gonna use your words to change her heart 20 years from now. And so I Dude. thought, so I just said, I said, kind of half joking, I was like, well, you know, this is how you get demons. And I was like, what's gonna happen is, is 20 years from, she pushed back on me, of course, but 20 years from now, she's gonna feel oppressed. And she's gonna say that one time, that one wow. priest said, this is how you get demons. I wonder, this may be what he said. But until she feels that, and the devil lets down his guard, and God comes in and offers this to her, she may not feel it. So I don't mm. demand of God immediate results. It rarely happens that way, although it does happen every once in a while. But I yeah. rarely demand immediate results because I trust that Jesus is working on her heart before I walked in there. Jesus is working on her heart long after I left. I'm a little blip, one little blip that Jesus is gonna use me for, and he's so faithful to her that he has been working, will work up until she's in full communion with him and in heaven. And I'm just this little, oh, that's awesome. you know? Yeah, it's, it, it all comes down to that, that, that praying in the moment. Yeah. Those two prayers, Lord, show me who to share you with today. And then in the moment, Lord, show me what to say. Because he knew, he, he could approach everyone differently because he sees 
but he'll share that with us. And I, I often reflect on how he, he could share it more clearly, but doesn't really because he wants us to rip our hearts open and become more like him in the process, right? The end game is that we'd be his children. Uh, but, but what if all the two billion Christians in the world started thinking this way a little more? Instead of thinking this is for the Navy SEALs of Christianity. No, I'm a schlep, but the Lord wants to share with me the joy of sharing him. And the I can world tell change, you, man. I can tell you one of the greatest things you can say in this day and age as an evangelizer is I don't know. Mm. People expect us to think we know everything. So it catches them off guard. If they say, oh, you're Christian? Well, then you, you, what about this, this? And you go, oh, I don't know. Let me look, let me try to find that for you. But like that humility catches them off guard. And all of a sudden they're like, I didn't expect you to be humble. I expected you to be arrogant. Mm. I expected you to be a bigot. Like I didn't expect you to say, I don't know. I don't know everything, sorry. I'm kind of weak myself. And sometimes that little, that vulnerability, that I'm a sinner too. The church is a hospital for sinners. We're not full of hypocrites. We are, but hypocrisy is one of the illnesses that we're trying to heal ourselves of. Mm. And we're all there to be healed. And so when you when people say, well, I don't fit in church, I'm like, well, you're not broken enough yet. But what, once once you realize you are, <laughs> you'll then, you're, then you're welcome here. You'll, you'll fit absolutely perfectly. Oh, thank you, yeah. Jesus. Tell us about the icon of St. Christopher. And we're going to pull up some images on the screen. Yes. By the way, if you're watching, if you're listening on the podcast, only watch the YouTube sometime because there's a lot of visuals we pull up. But so yeah. big shout out to Jonathan Bajot for this. Um, yeah. But um, I learned, I've learned a lot from him. But the, the, there's an icon, and let's just go back. Um, there's passages in the scripture that as a preacher for 18 years, I still don't have a confident homily to yeah. say, this is why this is beautiful. And one of those is the Canaanite woman that asks for that her daughter to be healed. And Jesus says, I don't give the food meant for the children and give it to the dogs, mm -hmm. right? There, I, I still, for a long time, I did not have a good explanation for this. But one thing about the dogs is that you realize that when, when the people of God, the Hebrews, the Israelites were called to go into Canaan and, and to, to kick out all the Canaanites so that it would become the chosen land, um, the Holy Land, uh, they were there, and so the Canaanites were a different culture. They, they were a different people. And so one way that they showed in art and in word that people were different was they had a human body with a dog's head. And what that meant was that's, that's the foreigners. Having a dog's head just meant you were a foreigner. So we know our people, but the foreigners have a different language. They look different than us. They act different than us. So that was a way of showing it, human body, dog's head. So when Jesus calls her a dog, it may have just been him saying, well, you're Canaanite, you're not one of us. So mm -hmm. you're one of the ones that we refer to as having a dog's head. So then she responds says, yes, I am a foreigner. I am someone that, that, that is different than you. Mm -hmm. And when she says, but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. So some of the most ancient icons of St. Christopher show him with the dog's head because he was a Canaanite. And, and the way the story goes that is so beautiful was that he was a massive, strong soldier of a man. Kind of like me. Yeah, exactly. Very like Chris. Yeah. Uh, you're better looking, though. Thank um, you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and, and he goes... No dogs and, and, and exactly, No dogs out <laughs> of you. Um, and he goes, and so he, he approaches people, and he says, who's the strongest, most powerful man in the world? And they say, oh, what's this king? So he goes to the king, and he says, king, I'm a big, strong man. I will serve you if you tell me who you're afraid of. Because he was testing him. Well, if you're afraid of somebody bigger and stronger. So then the king says, the only person I'm afraid of is the devil. So St. Christopher's story goes, goes to the devil and says, I will serve you because you're bigger and stronger than the king if you tell me who you're afraid of. And the devil in the story kind of goes about trying to put her back in and finally the devil admits, I'm afraid of the cross. Oh. The one thing I'm afraid of. So then St. Christopher goes and tries to find the cross. He doesn't know what it is. He's a Canaanite, right? He's a, he's a pagan. So he goes and he wow. finds these holy men who says, if you want to serve the cross, you need to learn how to pray. And St. Christopher, this big, strong man, very, very arrogant in a sense, yeah. says, tries it and he can't. And he comes back to the holy man and says, 
I can't, I can't pray. I thought I could do everything. I can't pray. And he says, well, then go fast. St. Christopher goes away again. He tries fasting and he comes back. He says, I, I thought I could do everything. I can't fast. And he goes, then I want you to give alms. I want you to go stand at the side of the river. You're a big, strong man. I want you to ferry people across the river, which is the story we all know of St. Christopher. And, and as the story goes, Jesus finds him there. So Jesus, who should have found him in prayer, should have found him in fasting, finds him in the one thing he can do because he can't do the other things. So Jesus meets him right where he is in his big strength, in his ability to give alms, and Jesus, and he carries Jesus, as we know the story, the rest of the story, he carries Jesus across the river. Jesus continues getting heavier and heavier and heavier. That's why he's the patron saint of travelers. He has a picture of him often carrying a little, like Jesus exactly. as a child. He and yet he's Jesus like, I suddenly can't carry this guy. So this, this is a more expanded story of St. Christopher that comes Christopher from, literally means Christ bearer. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So this is the St. Christopher who, in his desire to be the greatest, but then also his immense humility. So in our Byzantine tradition, oftentimes we would have, this is our icon of Pentecost. Mm. You see the, the apostles sitting around, you see the tongues as a fire coming down from heaven, dividing up. And, uh, and in, our, in our modern icons of Pentecost, we have this little old man down here. He's holding a, a piece of cloth that has 12 scrolls. And that's the, the, the 12 apostles who are sent out to the world. So the darkness of the world you see down here, and then you see this man, his name is Cosmos. Mm -hmm. Namely, the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, influences the entire cosmos. So it's not just us. So but we see it here in the center. So in the early church, they would put this icon over the exit door of the church. Wow. Because here's the cosmos, right? Here's the world, and you, it almost looks like a door, right? Wow. So you put this icon over, this, you've now received the Eucharist, you've now received the Holy Spirit, now go through those doors to the entire cosmos. But in the early, early church, what they had in the center, there was a bunch of dog-headed people. In other wow. words, go out to the foreigners, go to those who do not have Christ yet. And so what we do in the Byzantine church, we take it so literally that when we prepare the Eucharist, we cut the crust off of the loaves of bread, and that crust is given, like crumbs that fall from the master's table, is given to anybody. So the non-consecrated uh, crust. The non-consecrated bread that's blessed is given out to everybody. So you come up, even if you're you wow. know, not baptized, you still receive that. And that's the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You're one of the dog-headed people that hopefully will lose the dog's head like Christopher did when he encountered Christ. So it's, it's a door, it's the cosmos. That's powerful. It, it's, it's the evangelization that we do to Christopher and all the rest of them, the Christophers in the world mm. who became Christ bearers um, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And notice in this icon, Paul is here. He was not there. Mm. So this is an, actually an icon of the church since he's one of the apostles, mm. not an icon only of the event, but an, an icon of the church that is sent out into the world after receiving to go change hearts to bring people to Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta tell you, my review of this, of this particular show slash podcast, I, of all the interviews I've had, all the conversations I've had, there is um, the, the profundity and depth and like, whoa, deep waters to where it's, mm. some people are gonna be watching like, Amen. I'm overwhelmed. At the same time, so simple. You know, we, we, we're going through this all this iconography and imagery and the, the right and left lungs of the church. And hey, you want to share all this? Dude, just, just be holy and then be yourself in whatever setting that you find yourself in. That's it. See, I like, don't there's know a simplicity and depth at the same time. That's what evangelization is, right? And it, and it comes down to those being open to the grace of God in those moments and not being afraid. Not being afraid. Um, I want to end with this quote because you just, you just brought some holy images. Well, I'm going to end with a quote from an atheist who, uh, this, is, this is one of the most profound quotes urging us to evangelize from a non-believer. And this is kind of cool. This is from Penn Jillette, who was a, a famous magician. 
And he said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Now, the word proselytize has negative connotations of like, you know, here, I'm going to feed the, the, the poor bread, but only if they convert, right? But so, but that's not what it's always meant. It's not, that, not what it means to him here. So I'd say evangelize, right? I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's really not worth telling them this because it would make, make it socially awkward. <laughs> I mean, he continues, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody? I mean, the, the, the commission to share your faith, even if you don't have it together, it's a command to love. Yes, sometimes it's going to be socially awkward. Sometimes you might be persecuted and pushed against a wall, like Father O'Loughlin has been. Um, do it anyway. I love thinking of the apostles in the upper room. You know, Lord, what if they kill us? And I can almost hear Jesus say, no, they're totally going to kill you. That's, that's, I'm not going to comfort you by saying they're not going to kill you. But he, he breathed on them. And they went out with overwhelming joy, such that the world thought they were drunk. But this is the foundation of one faith that everyone, the, the world's response is, are these people drunk? They're so happy. Go out anyway. Why? Because love demands that you do. Love demands that you step outside your comfort zone and share the best news that mankind has ever or will ever receive. We have a, a Lord who showed us we don't have to fear death anymore, live under the dominion of sin anymore. We can actually have healing. All, all the salvation that everybody pretends we're going to ignore, but everybody knows we need it. If we didn't think we needed salvation, our, our political campaigns wouldn't be so nuts. Everyone knows we need a Savior. We're just looking for it in the wrong place. We actually have the answer, guys. You've got to share it. The world's dying for it. A third of teenage girls have contemplated suicide in recent years. A third. And this is the most faithless generation in history. Now, who needs religion? Everybody, apparently. Dude, you've got to share it. How much do you have to hate somebody? Not to tell them. I'm going to continue with this quote. I mean, if I believed, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I'd tackle you. And this is more important than that. Pendulet, a word from an atheist about how important it is to evangelize. Thanks for the witness of your life that shows us how important it is to evangelize. I'm Thank you. Yeah, it's been great to dive into the mysteries with you. That quote brought a man to faith. That Pendulet quote? Here I preached. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't read it to the morning I was going to preach. I didn't have my beginning my homily yet on a yeah, Sunday. Yeah. And I found that quote in the coffee shop before liturgy. And I came in and I, I began my homily by saying, anybody know who Pendulet is? And I see this one hand go up, a man I had never seen in my life. Whoa. And he had been having dreams about Jesus. And so he came to church for the first time after having dreams. And as soon as I said this, he was a magician. He loved Pendulette. And I baptized him six months later. Like, because of that quote. It was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, it's I, so exciting to be doing this stuff. With this. It's, it's, it's as if we're interacting with an unseen force. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Yeah>. so awesome. <laughs> Praise God. Life's an adventure when you open your heart up and step out into the deep waters and you find you don't sink. Missionaries of Joy, I want to thank you for doing that with me, for spreading the gospel just through who you are as a joyful Christian and for spreading the gospel by funding our ministry. Become a missionary of joy. Go to reallifecatholic.com and also like, subscribe, all that stuff. We love you guys so much. Thanks for sharing the joy of the Lord with us. We'll see you next time. That was awesome. That went a lot longer than I thought, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> You should actually include that postscript. <laughs> <laughs>
Every Advent, we hear the scripture about how we should prepare the way for the Lord, level mountains, make straight highways in the desert. And the church fathers, that's the, the early founders of, of Christianity, reflected on how in every heart is a whole world. There's a vastness in you. Think about that. You could, you could sense that. You could feel it. And how when God talks about how we should level mountains and, and straighten highways, he's talking about doing that in your own soul. Before you think about how to straighten all those highways and level those mountains, think about this. There's that much vastness in you. That when God entered space and time, he did it so he could enter into you. And he sees that vastness, that beauty, that something worth coming and dying for in your neighbor and your family member who's fallen away from the faith, in everybody around you. Evangelization, just like your own spiritual life, starts there in realizing that worth, that infinite worth that God found us worth dying for and letting not pride but love for that other person motivate you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being in this journey with us. Happy Advent. Share your faith. Don't just keep it.